My guest today, Pierre Polyev, a former minister, six-time member of parliament, and a conservative shadow minister for a ministry of finance. Pierre has served 16 amazing years as MP and is a free market activist. He also believes the government should take part in an environment where business owners can succeed in Canada while eliminating red tape. 20 years ago, Pierre notably wrote a paper entitled, Politics Should Not Be a Lifelong Career. We'll have to ask you about that, Pierre. <laughs> Pierre also advocates for the uh, employment of people with disabilities, personal freedom, and limiting government. Pierre, I really appreciate you coming on to the show today. You've come all the way out here from Eastern Canada, and I'm looking forward to having this conversation. Thank you for being here today. Very pleased. So, Pierre, let's jump right into this. Let's start with Aaron O'Toole. He's recently become the new leader of the um, Conservative Party of Canada. Give us your thoughts. Son of an auto worker, veteran, working class family, built a great successful career in business, and has thrice been elected in the, gen the greater Toronto area. That is a great starting point for the leader of the Conservative Party. Uh, he uh, stands for uh, workers. He wants to bring jobs back to Canada that have been scared away by uh, excessive government, high taxes and red tape and hostile socialistic policies. He'd like to reverse all those policies to bring our jobs back to this country. So we make stuff here again, become self-sufficient, stand on our own feet. And I think that's the agenda Canada needs as we rebuild our economy. There was a lot. Of, there were a lot of people before uh, even the likes of Peter McKay and, and Aaron O'Toole announced their run for leadership. A lot of people were calling for you to become the leader of the Conservative Party. And how come you didn't choose to go down that path? I mean, you would have been, in my view, a really good candidate. Thank you for saying that. Uh, well, you know, I, I talked it over with my family. We we weren't ready for that kind of a commitment. It's a massive, all-encompassing uh, commitment. Uh, and uh, we hadn't planned for it or prepared for it. And so when the opening suddenly came, it, it was a sudden uh, opening. Remember, Andrew Scheer was expected to stay on mm -hmm. after the election uh, until he, he, he decided to bow out. Um, uh, we just weren't in a, a state of readiness to, to do that kind of a job. And Aaron, Peter, and others were, and uh, all the credit goes to them for that. Okay. Um, I wanted to spend a minute a minute talking about yourself for the listeners sure. on our show who might not be familiar with yourself. Uh, and just for those who are listening, I, we're also going to spend time talking about basically just two subjects here. It's transparency in government yeah. and our country's finances. Uh, but before we do that, let's let's talk a bit about yourself. Now, one of the things also that kind of parlays with, with Aaron O'Toole, I know one of the big discussion points around the candidates that were running is the fact that none of them had were very strong in French. And of course, you, you, you kind of have to win majority of Quebec to win an election. Your French is impeccable. I'm assuming you grew up speaking French. I don't know. You got a, seems like a French last name. Well, my dad is a French Canadian from Saskatchewan and I grew up in Calgary. Okay. So it was oh, hard wow. to maintain our French. He did speak to my brother and I when we were toddlers and it was probably the first language to which he spoke to us. I kind of lost it, though, during my adolescence because there just wasn't a lot of French speaking around Calgary, as, sure. as you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when I got to university, I made sure to load up on French classes uh, in my undergrad at U of C uh, and then uh, worked to recapture my French heritage when I became a member of parliament and studied 
deeply the language. I love the language. It's a beautiful language. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's how I've become fluently bilingual. I had the advantage of a French-Canadian father, uh, but it did take some catch-up in my later adolescence and early adulthood. Okay. Well, before we jump to transparency and government finances, um, tell us about uh, how did you get this to kind of close the gap here? You went from having a job in Ottawa to now you're an MP for Carleton. This is yep. your second, third term, I believe. Sixth. Sixth term. Sorry, yes. sixth term. Apologize. Yeah, um, 04, 06, 08, 11, 15, and 19, uh, all elections. Wow. Yeah. And so. like I said earlier, you made you wrote a paper about... Uh, um, Politics should not be a lifelong career. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm planning to live to be 130. So, um, <laughs> you know, people are living longer every single day. Yeah. In Canada, actually, people live 40 days longer per year. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I have to admit, I wrote that essay when I was a teenager. And uh, I, I still think there's a lot of truth to it. But I've always felt the urge to continue fighting for what I believe in and believe yeah. and. I concluded that Parliament was the best place in which to do that. So that's why I keep running. Yeah. And, and you uh, keep winning. I have been winning. Yes, yeah, so far <laughs> I've been winning. But knock on wood, I, I don't want to get cocky about it because pride precedes the fall, as the good book says. Yeah. <laughs> so I have in front of me here an envelope from the government of Canada. Uh-oh. This is a this is from Global Affairs. And this is one of many FOIs that I run. So for those listeners that uh, are not familiar, it's a freedom of information request. Yep. We have the right as Canadian citizens to ask the government for information. And so I got this CD. Now, there Uh-oh. is a tweet from Justin Trudeau. I, I don't know if we have it on there, but he makes reference to the fact that, um, let's see here. Canadians deserve the most transparent and open government in the world. Retweet if you agree. So... This is how I get freedom of information. Uh, give you some some anecdotal st- stats. Um, we have probably about ten FOIs um, in play right now. Over half of them have been extended. Yeah. Um, we rarely get what we look for when we ask for it, and we're very specific. It's not like we're vague, so we know what we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, it's largely around something related to the government's finances, and an incredible amount of of redactions. So, uh, and then anecdotally, the ATP, ATIP request uh, was shut down through COVID. Um, so can you give me some of your th- initial thoughts on, I got to get, first of all, I got a CD player to, to actually read this. Right. <laughs> this, this was actually cutting edge technology 25 years ago, a CD yeah. like this. So, yeah. um, no, it's true. In fact, when I was asking them for, the cost, the true cost of the carbon tax. They had all these blackouts. And one of the blackouts that it was that if they told us the full cost of the carbon tax, that it would uh, jeopardize national security. So I, I don't know how it's possible that if uh, you know a little old lady finds out how much she's paying extra for cucumbers as a result of the higher transportation tax to bring them to her grocery store, that's going to imperil the security of our borders. But it just shows the insanity of the excuses that they will use to justify blacking out information to which Canadian taxpayers and citizens should, by default, be entitled. Uh, the same is true with this Wee scandal. They they brag about it. They released five thousand pages, but they didn't. Re- uh, they don't mention that they blacked out hundreds of uh, pages of information 
in that in that disclosure. Uh, so um, you know you're absolutely right. It is uh, it has become about how can they keep things secret and covered up rather than how they can make them public. Uh, and uh, that is exactly the opposite of what our friend uh, Mr. Trudeau promised when he was running for prime minister. It's absolutely the opposite. Yeah. So, Pierre, my question is, is a kind of a just an average Joe that doesn't really understand enough about the political world in Ottawa. Isn't this independent of the government? I mean, isn't there uh, an entity within the government of Canada that makes the decision and they, they, they're the ones that decide what to black out? Or is it heavily influenced by the governing party at the time so the way it works is that there's a someone called the access to information and commissioner okay uh, and when you file your access to information request that commissioner has uh, a delegate in in the department to which you made the request and they say please go and get this but the officials from that department will hand over redacted documents they will exclude certain things and then you will get this disc and it is up to you then to go to the commissioner and say, I object, I'm fighting back, I want to appeal. And at that point, the commissioner then goes to the department and says, okay, uh, let's sit down and look over all your redactions and I will render a ruling. Right. The problem is that this process is extremely long and there are many countless tricks that the, the departments can use to grind you down. You have a day job. You're managing billions of dollars of other people's money. Mm -hmm. Think about people, you know, the, the farmer in rural Saskatchewan who wants something. He doesn't have time to fight no, and wrangle with bureaucrats. He can't hire a lawyer. They could come back to him with 10,000 10, pages of irrelevant documents unrelated to his questions. And and then the redaction, the one thing he's looking for is, is covered in black ink. Well, he's got to go through 10,000 pages and then find out where it's hidden sure. and decide how he's going to file his appeal. Meanwhile, there's 10 or 11 bureaucrats in the agriculture department who are working against him. Well, he hasn't yeah. got a chance. No, not there's at all. just no way that he can get off the combine or out of the barn and and sit at his desk and fight wrangle around with these bureaucrats in Ottawa. Uh, and, and that's what they do. They grind people down until you just get exhausted, you throw up your hands sure. and, and, and it ends up staying a secret. So it takes a tremendous amount of persistence. And I'm very glad that someone like you who's not paid to do this, you do this as a patriotic citizen, is uh, determined to keep fighting until you get what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. And so my question then would be, it sounds to me it's more like a cultural issue that needs to get shifted. Yes. I mean, it, I mean, if, 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 if all of a sudden the Conservative Party was, was the governing party in Canada tomorrow... It doesn't seem to me like this would shift immediately. Well, it, it does take time. We, when I was the parliamentary secretary in Stephen Harper's government that passed the, the Accountability Act, it was my job to get that through. Okay. And we had some sweeping proposals to expand access to information, almost all of which have passed. But there was great resistance at the bureaucratic level from the very start. And, right. and eight, access to information was the... There were two things they objected to. One, we wanted to give prize money to whistleblowers who exposed corruption. We wanted to actually give them a cash cash prize if sure. they came forward. And the bureaucrats hated that. We ended up backing down on that uh, for reasons I can tell you if you're interested. But then the other was they were very worried about expanding access to information too much. Um, and, and what was so, their, did they cite a reason for that worry? Well, their, their viewpoint is that they can't, candidly advise ministers if they know that every word they utter is going to be scrutinized and used to, to drive a wedge between the public servants and the ministers. So that that's one objection. Uh, the others, there's all kinds of others, uh, commercial sensitivities, national security, etc. 
But by and large, it's a big, powerful, monolithic beast called the federal government that uh, is now a $600 billion beast that protects itself. And uh, it is, it's, like a, it's like an organism in nature that wants to grow and expand and protect all of its interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, naturally, uh, in, and unfortunately for some, they believe that it involves keeping secrets from the people who should know. So if you're in power in the next election, uh, if your party becomes the governing party of Canada, is this something that you're going to commit to to changing? Absolutely. I think there there are um, th- that's something that Aaron O'Toole will probably put in his platform. Uh, we do need a, a renewed anti-corruption uh, bill. Um, the Accountability Act was fantastic. It's the only, by the way, the only reason this we scandal is coming out is because of that law. It's the it's the law, the Conflict of Interest Act that Trudeau's been found guilty under twice, twice, and, yeah. and soon a third time. That was in the Accountability Act. The lobbying re- registry. That was created by the Accountability Act, and and, uh, and just so, to be clear, this is the act that you were responsible for piloting through the House of Commons. Yeah, under so Stephen Harper. under Harper. So yeah. that was, but that was now sixteen years ago. So uh-huh. I think there's perhaps it's time for us uh-huh. to, especially when I'm getting my FI results on a CD. Exactly. Like we we had a harder time trying to find a computer that had a CD reader on it. You know, one of the things that is my criticism is not only. Ex- being able to try to read a DVD, or maybe it's a DVD, but the fact that if I run an FOI here in Canada yeah. and I get the information, it only comes to me unless right. I publish it on my personal website. No one else really knows about it. By contrast, Pierre, I don't know how it works in Ontario where you live, but here in BC, if I run an FOI, it gets published on the BC government's website Interesting. for everybody to get access to. Okay. And to me, that seems only fair and just. You know, right. Why should it be? It's not really freedom of information if the only freedom is the individual who access, access that information. Right. So you can find the files on the Government of Canada website, as you probably know, but you have to you have to submit a request to get access to those files, and then they send right. you another CD. Or maybe, right. maybe they bought too many of these things like 20 years ago. <laughs> they and probably get did. the inventory. <laughs> they, th- they thought it was a steal, or maybe they knew the contractor. Yeah, totally. <laughs> So um, um, anyway, but it, you're, you're right on, and I'm glad that you keep pushing. Don't give up, and uh, file a complaint. Get the, uh, the ATIP commissioner investigating them. Okay. Because there's nothing worse uh, than being under investigation by a, an officer of parliament, and that's what happens when you file a complaint. An investigator is obliged by law to look into your complaint and report back to you. So yeah. do it. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. I'll Absolutely. take you up on that one. Um, before we finish on this, just so the listeners of this can get a real sense of how problematic this is, I do want to play a video clip of you, Pierre. Okay. Um, so if we can pull that one up, Jasmine. Um, maybe you, if you, I don't know if you're familiar with this one, it'll be the blacked out this one here. You, do you know which clip we're about to play, Pierre? I think I can guess. Do you want to set this one up for us? Well, this is uh, the day after we received a, the so-called 5,000 pages of disclosures from the federal government Yes, in the Wee scandal. And uh, the parliament had asked for it, and they, they gave us the documents. And then an hour after we got the, the release, they sh- Trudeau prorogued parliament, shut the place down so that our committees could not reconvene to ask for anything more. But the big and ugly surprise when we opened them is how much black ink was yeah. all over these documents. Yeah. And uh, you're about to, well, let's, to, let's to see, see some of it. Yeah. Here we go. Then we have here an email from Craig Kielberger to Bill Morneau. 
And, you know, we'd love to learn about the attached documents in it, but unfortunately, in what is to become a trend throughout this package, it's all, all the relevant information in the two documents are completely blacked out. Another email from Craig Kielberger that went to someone in the government the same day he spoke to Bill Morneau on the phone, but we don't know who received the email, that's blacked out, or what the email said, all blacked out. Here's an email from the minister responsible for the department that granted the half billion dollars to her top bureaucrat. Again, all the substance is backed out, blacked out. And that would not be the first time. Next page, blacked out. This page, blacked out. This page, blacked out. This page, blacked out. Why don't we ask what's in those pages at a parliamentary committee? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is the committees were all shut down an hour after the documents right. were released. Yeah. So uh, anyway, if it doesn't make you laugh, it makes you cry. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it's something that uh, it, it was very theatrical, by the way. It was good. Um, you made a very, very strong point there. It becomes discouraging as a non-political person to, to even want to show up at the polls when you see this kind of stuff go on. I mean, some people take the opposite view. They're like, I want to get this guy out of here more than ever. Right. That's my, that's my view. Um, but uh, do you have any comments about Canadians who are discouraged by what seems like just one after another, government after government of unaccountability? And, and how is it going to be different if the Conservative Party gets into power in the next election? Well, listen, as Churchill said, uh, parliamentary democracy is the worst system of government except for all the others. Uh, and, uh, you know, Parliament, I like to think of uh, Parliament uh, as a, a truth machine. It is, uh, I say, you know, people say, oh, it should be, there should be less fighting in that place. I disagree. There should be more. We should be fighting for the things we believe. We should be fighting for the people for whom we work. And the most powerful people in the country should tremble when they walk into Parliament. That is how our system was designed. Right. It is deliberately adversarial. There is not, in the, as in the United States, a half circle, but two sides. And they are two and a half sword lengths apart so that they couldn't chop each other's heads off uh, from their respective seats back in the old uh, parliamentary days of, of, the United, of the United Kingdom. And so um, our system is deliberately adversarial because the official opposition has the job of holding the government to account. And it is believed that in opposition, we are exercising loyalty. So opposition is loyal in our system. Mm -hmm. And that's the role I play right now as the chief finance critic. Um, will a future conservative government be perfect? No, of course not. But um, we uh, will put forward a plan to, to, re to restore uh, accountability to our system uh, of government. Uh, you know, I think if you look back in the Harper government, there were controversies and alleged scandals, but I think if you compare in the magnitude to what's going on now, it's, you know, we had a minister who had resigned because she, she got caught spending $17 on a glass of orange juice. Right. You know, we had a guy from out here in BC, who John Duncan, who resigned because he made the mistake of calling a, a quasi-judicial uh, uh, tribunal to help a constituent he'd never met. He had no financial interest in himself, but politicians aren't supposed to call 
judges or magistrates, and so he resigned. You know, that was a quaint era when that kind of a thing was a scandal. Sure. Like, love to go back to yeah, those days. <laughs> like, it would be nice if people were resigning for things like that. Now yeah. they're resigning for illegally taking $41,000 vacations and then turning over half a billion dollars in grants to the group they got the vacation from. Like, that's... And there's a lot that aren't even resigning. A lot that are not the prime minister who's done worse. Yeah. So anyway, look, okay. I'm not saying that you vote for one party, you're going to get angels, and then yeah. the other, you're going to get demons. It's not. We're we're all made of the same clay. Yeah. But I, it is up to the people. People, folks, say to me, "How are we ever going to make sure these politicians are punished?" Well, go into the ballot box. Sure. And execute that punishment yourself. Because as Churchill also said, "There's nothing more powerful than the little man." behind a little curtain with a little piece of paper that he puts into a little box. And that is the power of democracy. Mm -hmm. You'd mentioned in that um, comment that you are uh, the, I think it's described as the the critic minister for Ministry Shadow of Minister. Finance. Shadow Minister. Minister. Yeah. So let's jump into that last yeah. topic before we wrap this up on, on finances. Now, uh, the projected deficit for 2020 is currently estimated at $343 billion. Over half of Canada's public debt has been amassed just under Justin Trudeau yes. since 2015. And just to give you an insight here, Pierre, I actually voted for Trudeau back in 2015. Right. I'd never voted Liberal before, um, but I did vote because it was a it was a what I saw as a protest vote against what I saw under Stephen Harper as a closed and, and um, unengaged government. And I regret having made that vote ever since. And I went from being a, a big fan of Justin Trudeau for a few short weeks and then seeing him go into power and seeing all the antics and the, the insane spending that's been going on by this government. Insane. Like it's, and being someone who's in the world of finance, you know, I remember seeing your video clip and I think we've got it here. So I want to start off with this one because I think this is a really good segue into talking about how bad our finances are. We've just, one of the big rating agencies, Fitch, has reduced our credit rating status from AAA, coveted AAA rating. It's been around for almost two decades <clears throat> to AA plus. And I think it's just the beginning. So you can kind of just get a sense of where I position myself on this right. one. But let's start with this video. Let's do this one real quick. Mr. Felliot, have you been able to get a list of all the projects the government has so far funded under its uh, infrastructure program since it took office in 2015? Uh, we asked that question many, many times. Uh, we never were able to get a full list. And I think <coughs> the issue is that there is no centralized record holding at Infrastructure Canada because the programs, the various programs, are delivered by multiple departments and there doesn't seem to exist a list. We've asked, and Jason can attest to, Jason was part of these discussions, we've asked more than once and we never got a complete list of projects under the Invest in Canada plans or infrastructure programs. And how much money have they spent on this program so far? Oh, so far it's <laughs> tens of billions, certainly. And they don't, they don't know where it went? Um, if they know, they're not telling us all of the details of each dollar where it went. Well, each pro you don't have a list of projects that, that adds up to the total, right? Go ahead. Uh, 
We currently do not have a list of projects uh, at the behest of interest of members of the House. We did follow up with Infrastructure Canada and the government in January with an updated information request, and we are in active and ongoing negotiations with Infrastructure Canada and multiple departments and agencies to try to compile a list. Compile a list. I would say that it has taken potentially a little bit longer than we anticipated. So if I go to the grocery store and spend a small fortune on groceries, my wife says, what the hell did you spend 500 bucks on? She'd expect to see a receipt with item by item on it, wouldn't you, honey? Um, she's back there. Um, um, but you're telling me when the government of Canada uh, spends tens of billions of dollars on infrastructure, it can't give us an item by item list? It doesn't have one ready? We can't comment on his marital situation. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a good one. Was she actually there? She was. She works on the hill. So okay. she doesn't work for me. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's get your start. Let's get your comments. What are your thoughts on where our finances are today? Well, listen. Uh, the deficit is actually more like three hundred eighty billion now because the three hundred forty-three that you cited um, is—it's the official uh, government uh, uh, estimate from July the seventh, which is the last time they published an estimate. Okay. But since that time, they've publicly announced another roughly forty billion dollars in spending. So we're now up around three eighty, uh, and that does not include the fall economic update, in which they're planning to spend even more. Uh, so this is a monstrous deficit. I'll just give your, I don't, I don't want to overwhelm your listeners with numbers, but just to put this into historical perspective, because we, we're being told, and rightly so, that we're in a crisis, right? So of course we should expect a deficit in a crisis. So we've been in crises before, right? And uh, we have in all of Canada's history, we've had World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, the Great Global Recession, 09. 0809. In all of those crises, this is the biggest deficit as the share of GDP outside of 1943, which was right in the middle of the Second World War. Mm -hmm. So our deficit is this year right now 17% of GDP, uh, which is uh, about twice what it was in the worst year of World War One. It is about three times what it was in the worst year of the Great Depression, 1932. And it is about four times bigger than the worst year in the Great Global Recession. Um, and so, again, the only time we've ever had a deficit this big was 1943 when we were fighting Hitler and Mussolini uh, and Imperial Japan. And at that year, it was 23% of GDP, which is you know six percentage points bigger than it is right now. But what did our grandparents do when they got home from war, when they were exhausted of watching their brothers and sisters shed the blood on the battlefield? Did they say, now is party time, right. we're going to put our feet up, and we're going to rack up even more debt? You know what they did? They paid off the debt. And in 1947, we had the biggest single budget surplus is a share of GDP in Canadian history, 5% of GDP. That would be the equivalent of us running a $120 billion surplus. In, in today's dollars and today's economy. Mm -hmm. So our grandparents, having just sacrificed everything for our freedom, then came back and paid off the debt. They didn't leave that to their kids and grandkids. So it'd be nice if we had a little dose of that uh, nobility and that uh, integrity that our, our grandparents had. Um, and um, 
Justin Trudeau, by contrast, doesn't think we should ever run a surplus. I mean, they're now talking about putting in place structural spending that will outdate the COVID lockdown. So, you know, if we get out of COVID completely in a year, he sees us spending $100 billion a year more than we take in into perpetuity. Um, where our debt to GDP is now about 50% of GDP. Um, so in 1996, we hit the debt wall because our, uh, our, our and, the, and, and the old finance minister, John Manley, he says, he'll tell the story. He says, we, we had a cabinet briefing and you'll appreciate this in your line of work. The bureaucrats came in and, and uh, they said, oh, we were out uh, today with an offering. And great, how did it go? Uh, well, no one wanted to lend to us. Oh, really? How much should we raise? Uh, nothing. Oh, that sounds pretty bad. So, so, so how much was it? How much did we sell? Nothing. Like literally, there's not a single person on planet Earth that will lend the government of Canada a dollar. Right. That was 1996. And that's why Kretchen slashed health care, slashed the military, raised taxes on workers. They had to cut government spending by 10% in one budget. And um, that was because the money ran out. Now, that was when the debt to GDP ratio was 66.6% of GDP. We're now at 50%. Six months ago, we were at 30%. So you can imagine our buffer was 36 percentage points from where we were to the wall, the mm -hmm. historic wall, what we can borrow. We have blown, Trudeau has blown more than half of that buffer in six months. Like I'm just trying to put into perspective yeah, for absolutely. your listeners how massive the engorgement uh, of uh, debt and spending is right now under the Trudeau government. This is like a Roman orgy of spending. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we can't go in the parliamentary budget office room. You just saw he's a, he's a nonpartisan former CRA bureaucrat appointed by Justin Trudeau, by the way. That this clip is, we just saw. Just yes, sure the, the, fellow, the, the fellow was just on the screen. Um, he's not a hardline fiscal conservative. He's just a, a bureaucrat who counts the numbers. He says we've got one year, maybe two at this rate before the money runs out. Mm -hmm. And finance bureaucrats are now calling journalists off the record because they don't want to lose their jobs. And they're saying they're literally frightened. That's a quote. I am literally frightened, say top finance Canada bureaucrats. So this is not a partisan issue anymore. Mm -hmm. Anybody who understands the numbers knows that we are heading off a cliff. We have a little bit of time. We're not there yet. But if this continues for another 18 months, two years, at this pace, uh, we're going to be in a crisis. Mm -hmm. Pierre, it seems to me like the, uh, the, the objective of this current government <clears throat> is to convince enough Canadians, especially the ones that don't pay the taxes or enough of the taxes, that this is the route to go. Universal basic income, all these different programs we have, we're going to, you know, we've, we've gone from taking uh, what's the uh, the Canadian emergency response benefit is now being transferred in, over into a much more liberal EI program. And I, I know personally lots of people who just have been collecting that all summer. You know, they're not going to work uh, because they can collect their CERB and work some cash jobs on the side. Um, and it seems like there's a very large, I, I would hope there's a large silent majority out there that sees it differently and realizes that going back to your contrast between our grandparents' generation and this generation, this party cannot continue forever. Millennials actually should be the most concerned because they're the ones who are going to inherit this debt. Oh, they they're going to pay, pay the it. bill. They're going to pay the bill. The, the yeah. older people, um, you know, God bless them, they will 
they will go uh, into from this world into the next uh, in in 10 or 15, 20 years. But the millennials will be here for the next 65 years paying interest on this colossal debt. And they are they should be the most aggrieved. The other thing opportunity I think we have is that the millennial generation is very entrepreneurial, and mm-hmm. uh, we need to revitalize entrepreneurship in this country. Show people that there is a reward to risk taking, uh, to, um, to 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 venturing out and inventing a new product and to cr- creating a new service. Uh, and I think that's where conservatives have the best growth potential among our youngest voters is to be the the, the true party of entrepreneurship. Because I think innate in eight in every human being is a desire to go out and do something great and productive and valuable. Work is not just a living; it is a life. And uh, I think that underneath it all. People do want to work and contribute, and we want to be the party that, that that sees an economy that rewards them for doing so. Okay, that's great. Thank you for that. To wrap this up, there may be an election coming soon. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Any comments? Any? Uh... Well, I'd like us to see, uh, you know, I think of the, the, the WE scandal, for example, as being like a trial. And I don't want us to, I don't want the, the, jury to have to present a verdict before they've seen all the evidence. And there's a lot more evidence to come uh, of corruption in this case. So I think Trudeau wants an election now before that evidence comes out. Um, He also wants an election before the money runs out so that he can get a majority. And then after he's he's locked in, crystallized his power for an additional four years, he can start taxing the capital gains on your home your primary residence, he can raise income tax, he can um, uh, raise countless other taxes to fund the spending that he will tell us during the election campaign is completely free. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that fantasy will come to an end. Mm-hmm. He wants it to come to an end after people have voted um, rather than before. And that's why I believe those are the two reasons to, 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 to avoid the truth coming out in the, in the we scam and to uh, to hide from people the true cost of his economic mismanagement, he wants an election now. I think that uh, we should continue to hold the government accountable, and uh, when the time is right, uh, then uh, there should be an election for Canadians to render a verdict with full knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people want to get involved with the Conservative Party or with yourself in your campaign, um, you're on social media, you're big on, on Twitter, you got a big yes. following. Um, where, where do they go? How do they help? How do they get involved? With Pierre.ca is my uh, website and uh, hit me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all those other uh, outlets, any, whatever works for your, your fault, your listeners, um, feel free to reach out to me. And I do, I do answer my mail, even for folks who are not in my, my writing. So yeah. happy to hear from you. Okay, great. And I do want to say thank you to Taiko, Taiko Van Popta, MP for Langley Aldergrove for putting this together. Pierre, yeah. really Happy to have you here today. Delighted. Thank you for taking time to come over and see us. Thank here you. In the West Coast. And I'm glad uh, to be back. Yeah. <laughs> great, great place. Beautiful place. Spent a lot of time here when I was a kid. As you know, Albertans love to vacation in BC. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time here when I was a kid, and it's a it's a delight to be back. Yeah. Great. Well, Pierre, thanks for being on the show today. Best of luck with everything, and then uh, we'll be chatting again soon. I'm sure. Okay. Thank great you. to be with you. Okay. Thanks. Bye.